The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Well, on this fourth Sunday of Advent, we're coming to Ruth chapter 4. And so if you have not already, I would invite you to take a copy of God's Word and open with me to Ruth in chapter 4. You can find that on page 224 if you've got a Purack Bible. And, uh, or if you need other page numbers, they're up there. And you can follow along with us in God's Word in the book of Ruth. And uh, I hope you have enjoyed the book of Ruth, I certainly have as we come to the concluding chapter. We're actually going to divide chapter 4 up uh, somewhat this morning, but then also on Christmas Eve. But one of the things that I love so much about the book of Ruth is that without the ending, there, there really is no connection for us as to why Ruth is in the Bible. Uh, it just seems to be a, a nice story, uh, but the book of Ruth finds its location in the rest of the Bible by how the book ends, by locating the story of Ruth in the larger story of God's redemption for his people across all of redemptive history. And as I was thinking about that thing, uh, I I try to stop and appreciate how, how beautiful it is, both in our own community and really worldwide and throughout history, that God weaves all of our stories together. That your life and my life and our neighbor's lives are, are woven together into this really intricate story that God uh, is carrying out in the world. And, you know, the metaphor is often given when you, when you look at a woven tapestry on one side, if you were to look at the back, it just looks like tangled knots and you can't make much sense of it and you don't see how it's all connected. But when you flip it over, you see the intricacies and the detail and the beautiful pattern that's made and, and our lives are like that that in this beautiful sense. And thinking about that makes us remember that the capacities of God's wisdom and the, the capacity of God's providence are infinite. What he knows and what he can do. You know, you and I have a hard time managing our own lives, right? If you're a person who needs a checklist for your checklist and lists and all the rest, like we have a hard time taking care of ourselves and our family, let alone all people in all history throughout all time. And God does that. He weaves together our stories. And when we marvel at what he does and we marvel at his providence and we marvel at his sovereignty, we are being invited to worship God at the beauty of what he does in weaving all of these stories together and ultimately in the Bible, weaving together this story of redemption that is revealed in Jesus Christ. Now, Sometimes we have fits about the fact that God's purposes are not clear to us, right? We're frustrated because we don't know what he's doing. We don't understand why this season of life has anything to do with where we're headed or where we've been. And sometimes we're filled with anxiety because we're not sure what's going on. But here in chapter 4 in the story of Ruth, things become more clear And the conflict is resolving. And the next stage of God's story is becoming clear in the life of Ruth. And just like in Ruth's life, God is making your story and mine more clear as we move toward what he's doing. When we don't know and when we don't understand the message of the Bible and especially the message of the story of Ruth is to to trust this God who knows what he's doing. Who knows what he is doing. So... In chapter 4, we find the resolution of the conflict. 
And if you remember what the book of Ruth is all about, the question that is over all of the book of Ruth is, how will the name of Elimelech be maintained in Israel? Remember Elimelech? He was Naomi's husband, the man who took his wife and two sons to Moab, and there he passed away and the two sons. And Naomi comes back to Bethlehem with one of her two daughter-in-laws named Ruth. And now that they're back in Israel, the issue that they're facing is, is that we have a land and a name and an inheritance that stands to be lost if someone doesn't continue our family name because my husband and my sons have died. So Naomi and Ruth have come back, but they've come back to the knowledge that there is someone in Israel who can continue the family line, and his name is Boaz. And not only is he able to do this, but he is also willing. But at the end of chapter 3, at the end of that drama, we found that Boaz knows that there is a closer relative than himself that is actually first in line for the responsibility of redeeming this family. And chapter 4 is all about the unfolding resolution to what happens for Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. We see God's purposes becoming more clear here in chapter 4. So let's pray and ask God's blessing upon his word and we will hear it together. Father, we bow now with your word open before us and we say in our hearts, O Lord, how we love your word, how pure your law is to us and what a delight it is for us to read it and to grow in our understanding. And so, Lord, we would pray that you would send your spirit upon us to illuminate our minds and give understanding to your word today that we might have a deeper and more abiding trust in you who does all things well, in you, the eternal God, who work out all things for the good of those who love you. And so, Lord, speak to us now in the power of your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And now let us hear God's word in Ruth chapter 4, and we'll just be reading through verse 12 this morning. This is the word of God. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend. Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. 
And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his naved place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephratah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. So may he write its eternal truth on our hearts today. So, we find this, moving towards this dramatic conclusion, we find in chapter 4 the removal of the final obstacle to God blessing Naomi and Ruth. But do you notice that as we read this and as you scan back over it, Naomi and Ruth have faded into the background. They don't speak at all in chapter 4. All of the attention is given to Boaz. And we see him here in chapter 4. We see him and his actions and his character. And as we look at Boaz, we see him as the kinsman redeemer for Elimelech's family. But more than looking at Boaz, we also see a picture of the kinsman redeemer and the savior of all the world. And so there is really just one point in chapter 4, and it's to look at Boaz. And when looking at Boaz, ask, do you see Jesus in him? But in order to do that, we have to understand a few things about what's happening here in chapter 4. So let's clarify uh, the details of this to see how it leads us to Christ. It's important to see in verse 1 that Boaz is a man who is true to his word because he promised the night before that he would set out this morning to deal quickly with the issue of redeeming Elimelech's household. Do you remember back at the end of chapter 3 in verse 12 where we have this detail where uh, Boaz promises that he will see to the matter of redeeming their family even though there is a man who is a closer redeemer than Boaz himself. Well, he sets out to do exactly what he says. He goes straight from the threshing floor where he had slept that night to the city gate where he sits down. Now, in those days, the city gate would be equivalent to like uh, a place of administration or the city hall or county courthouse. The city gate was the place where business transactions were handled. Uh, There were no property lawyers in Israel at this time. And so deals were done in the presence of the elders of the city who sit down at the city gate. And by doing so, they are making a public property transaction that is done legally. So that's what Boaz is doing. And as we have seen So many times in this short little book, the way the story is told, it's told with this almost winking eye and smiling narrator who says, would you believe it? Look what happens next. Verse 1, behold, 
who comes walking by, but the other redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken. It's as if to say, what impeccable timing. What a marvelous thing God does to orchestrate this event. Just the right man at just the right time in just the right place. Boaz calls together the court and begins to present his case. Look at it again in verse 3. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, you remember her. She's the one who has come back from the country of Moab and is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. He is letting this relative know about the opportunity and the responsibility. In other words, Boaz is saying, I've got a business opportunity for you here. And what he's communicating to this man is that it's a little bit fuzzy in the details of the text, but Naomi is not actually selling the land so much as she is selling the right to use the land and the profits of the land. In other words, Naomi is cash renting the property that her family owns in Israel. Land that represents that Elimelech and his family, even though Elimelech is dead, this land represents the fact that this family exists. This people has been here. They have been a part of the promised land where God's people live. And if this land goes away with the name associated with Elimelech, then it will be as if their family is wiped off of the record of the people of God in the promised land. That's why it matters so much. If Naomi sells the land outright, then the name of Elimelech, her dead husband, goes out the door. But if she cash rents to this other man who is in the family lineage... Then the farm stays in the family name, more or less. And the man, in verse 4, is immediately excited at the prospect. And he says, I will redeem it. He wants to expand his operation. He wants to grow, and he's eager. I will do so. Without any hesitation, he says, yeah, sounds good. But Boaz knows more than what's at stake than this man. And Boaz follows up on the conversation in verse 5. He says, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. You will redeem the land, Boaz says. That's great. Naomi will be so relieved. Just got the contract, sign here, sign here, sign here, initial here, and all the rest. Oh, but there's one more thing I forgot to mention. The opportunity to rent that land comes with it the obligation to have a new mother-in-law and a new wife and the obligation to raise a son on your own dime until that son is old enough to take back the land from his dead father and perpetuate his family. And so, sir, you are buying the land here on behalf of Ruth's dead husband and on behalf of Elimelech. So anyway, I was just saying, go on sign. Boaz is like this master negotiator here with this man. And as Boaz is coloring in the details of what this man is obligated to do, you can almost picture the blood draining out of his face. He suddenly totally changes his mind, doesn't he? Then the Redeemer says in verse 6, verse six I cannot redeem it for myself. 
lest I impair my own inheritance. I cannot do it. He was perfectly happy to help Naomi out if it meant that he was going to completely benefit from it. He was perfectly happy to help Naomi out of this tight spot so long as he would gain. But it's another matter entirely now that it becomes clear that actually, along with the land, this man would become responsible for all of Elimelech's dependents. And then it would be given back to those dependents when they were old enough to have it themselves. Meaning any son that Ruth would go on to have would produce an heir to the land, meaning it would not belong to this man. Which is why he's saying, I'll endanger my own inheritance if I invest in redeeming this family. No, thank you. So be very clear. When this man stood to gain something, he was happy to be the kinsman redeemer. But if it was going to cost him something, not so much. Do you know the most interesting detail about this interaction? Is that this man is not even named. He's the closer relative, and names are important, and we've been given all these names. But this man, who has a closer kinsman-redeemer relationship to Elimelech is actually not named. And when Boaz addresses him in verse 1, when he says, turn aside, friend, sit down here, uh, the, the actual vernacular of the Hebrew is actually not friend, but hey, Mr. So-and-so. Even Boaz doesn't address this man according to his own name. And whoever this guy is, he falls off the pages of all of biblical history. Even though he's the nearer redeemer, his name is completely forgotten because it's not even mentioned in the first place. Because is this man the closer redeemer? Is he prepared without reservation and at great personal cost to redeem this family? And his answer is no way. Not a chance. But Boaz is not like that. That's not who Boaz is. And when the man tells Boaz to redeem it in his place, Boaz is more than happy to do so. And they have the custom that's uh, customary in that time, essentially like shaking hands. Boaz calls the elders to bear witness to this transaction, and Boaz has acquired the field, but more than that reality, he has fulfilled his obligations to redeem this family. And it, it reads like cold legal language of what's happening here, but at long last, Naomi and Ruth have received the one who would stand in place to redeem their family, to continue the name of Elimelech and give Naomi and Ruth hope of their continued existence in the promised land forever. And Boaz is willing. And Boaz is a man of character who steps forward to fulfill this obligation, even though it's going to be the same cost it would have been for the other man and have the same liabilities and the same risks. But where one person is unwilling to risk himself, Boaz is prepared to commit everything to fulfill his covenantal obligation of faithfulness to this family. Do you remember it's exactly as he promised? He promised in chapter 3, Ruth, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. He acts without hesitation. He acts with wisdom. He acts faithfully to keep his promise to Ruth and Naomi. And the most important thing to see in that is that Boaz is acting sacrificially 
that he willingly shoulders the obligation, even if doing so means it's going to cost him. Boaz, in Scripture, is presented to us as a picture of covenant love and faithfulness and obedience. Love that pours itself out to keep a promise, no matter what the cost is. And the point of all of that is, is do you see how looking at Boaz allows us to bring the picture in a little bit more clarity and see it is actually a greater picture for us of the greater Boaz, the Lord Jesus Christ. Boaz is a man who points us to the Savior and the God of covenant grace who redeems his people at great cost to himself. Through the gift of the Son of his love born for us who lived to die and died to rise. Do you see how this conclusion to this story is actually like this beautiful symphony of God's purposes that's coming together to point us to the gospel of his grace. Just think about a few of these things here. Boaz is the actor, and again, for the first time, Ruth and Naomi, they don't speak at all. Ruth and Naomi receive rest and redemption not on the basis of what they do, but on the basis of what their Redeemer does for them on their behalf. Isn't that exactly how the gospel works? That our salvation is not something that is ultimately accomplished by us in any sense whatsoever. The only thing you contribute to your salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. And the Lord Jesus takes up covenantal faithfulness on your behalf to do what you are obligated to do but cannot. And he steps forward in faithfulness to achieve salvation for us, what we could never do for ourselves. And he does it at his own great expense, at his own great cost. You know, I think about that a lot, especially at Christmas time, when it's easy to, to kind of be trapped into just sentimentality of holiday and miss the gospel in the midst of Christmas. And I think the thing for me that grips my heart the most is when I, when I think about the incarnate God and the second person of the Trinity enfleshed in this baby in a cattle stall in Bethlehem, I think to myself for the moment, Lord Jesus, this is beneath you. You don't belong here. This world that is so broken, it's broken because of me. And everything that's wrong here is wrong because of us. Lord, this is beneath you and you don't belong here. And it is as if he is saying, but this is the only way that I enter into the darkness that you have created to shine the light of my forgiveness, to bring you hope and to bring you peace. It's going to come at this cost for me, but I am willing to discharge and give my own life for your sake. And do you see the beautiful thing that happens as a result of it? We find here that what ends up happening is that the elders, they bless Ruth. They bless her and, and say, may you, may you be like Rachel and like Leah, the matriarchs of Israel. May, may your life bring blessing upon the house of Israel. And if they only knew how true their, their prayer was in that moment, because what has happened to Ruth is actually what happens to all of us when we embrace Jesus Christ. Because who is Ruth? 
She is a stranger and a foreigner and one who is outside the household of God's covenant mercy. And through the ministry of Boaz, her redeemer, the stranger finds a home. And the one who has lost their family is counted as a part of the family of God. Isn't that what happens in the gospel? The sinner becomes a saint and the guilty are cleansed. Fullness of mercy on behalf of the true kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. And Ruth's name is written into the family story of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so this little book of Ruth, it preaches the gospel to us in this most beautiful way. That we, through faith in Jesus Christ, are no longer strangers. You belong. You have a family. There is fullness of grace and mercy for you. There is forgiveness and kindness for you. An infinite amount of mercy in the name of Jesus Christ that sets every prisoner free. That there is room for all people, including people like Ruth. And all of this is because in this little town of Bethlehem where this has happened, Boaz has kept his promise. And in a greater sense, at Bethlehem, but much later, God is ultimately going to keep his promise to deliver a redeemer to those who stand in need. So as we celebrate the Advent season, as we are aware of what Christmas offers to us, let us chiefly be in awe of the wonder of God's grace, who is our Redeemer. The Lord Jesus Christ, who discharges for us and on our behalf the salvation we need, who at great personal cost to him, welcomes us into the family of the household of God. You are not a stranger And in Jesus Christ, all of your sins are forgiven. And what better news is there than that? Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that through your word we see this glorious picture of your gospel truth. Help us, Lord, today to stand in awe and to wonder at your mercy and to be filled with gladness to be a child of God. And so bless us today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.